everybody. Welcome to TRB Live. This is the Resistance Broadcast. And yes, we are live. Look, watch. See? Look, <laughs> my camera didn't fall off. That. We're off to a great start. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the show. We're here to talk about Andor Episode 5, The Axe Forgets. And uh, joining me, as always, is James and Lacey. And our guest has been on the show a couple times before. It's been a little while, though. Been a bit. Uh, you can find him on his YouTube channel. Just look up John Roca on YouTube. Uh, or the Outlaw Nation, one of the greatest, uh, rest in peace, movie trivia schmodown, but one of the greatest <laughs> movie trivia schmodown competitors of all time. Welcome back to TRB, Mr. John Roca. What's up, Outlaw? Uh, what's up, everybody? I'm excited. Thank you very much for having me back. <laughs> so excited to talk about this episode and to talk about Andor overall as a series. And I'm sorry, I was a little caught up. Love your opening. Such a great opening. I'm looking at my uh. opening for Jedi Way going, Jesus, I need to catch up. This is beautiful. So great opening for you guys. I love it. So thanks for having me on. I'm excited. And thanks to everybody who is watching us as well. Excited to see your thoughts, y'all's thoughts on the, on the episode. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's crazy that we're already five episodes in um, and, you know, seven to go though. This is the longest series from an episodic standpoint per mm -hmm. season. Uh, if it was the Mandalorian, we'd be looking at the back nine already. So um, <laughs> still have ways to go here, but or Obi -Wan, uh, just want to have one episode left. Right. True. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Um, but just want to thank everybody for joining us live in the chat. Uh, if you don't mind liking it and uh, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the channel while you're here. But also if you're on social media and you saw a tweet announcing that we are live, please share, invite more people in the base is open for all star Wars fans. Uh, no matter what you like best or worst or whatever, we're all here to have a good time. And that's what Star Wars really should be all about. So, uh, and of course we do, if you want your comment read on the show and, and talked about, we do have super chats available uh, as well. But if you just don't want to participate, just want to sit here and watch and chill, uh, that's cool too. Sometimes I wish I could do that. Can I take um, a moment? Uh, Brian Ward is here. Brian Ward did our opening. I'm not denigrating what Brian Ward did for the Jedi Way. It's a opening. I was just saying that I like their opening. And so, you know, no offense to Brian Ward, who did a fantastic job. Thank you, Brian. But this is, I was just. I was just giving them uh, props for their opening. That's all. Well, Andor's yeah. a spy show, and Brian is a spy, and he tracked you down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds about right. Yes, uh, but uh, no, it's this is a, this is going to be a lot of fun, and we're really excited to be here and to have you, Outlaw, on the show. Um, basically, what we do to kick things off to sort of you know warm up the tires a bit is rate the episode and give our quick reason why. Um, so we're going to go around here and then give our average. And then we also polled our patrons and got their score to see if we're sort of on par with them or not. So, uh, Lacey, we're going to start with you this week. What did you rate, uh, episode five of Andor? I love that you start with me. Uh, I gave it a seven. I think it's okay. a solid episode. I enjoyed it. I love once again, the, the settings and the costumes and the acting is legit out of this world or out of the galaxy. Yeah. Um, but I'm still kind of gearing up with the episodes, gearing up where the story's going. That's yeah, that's legit. That's fair. Um, all right, Roca, what did yeah. you give this episode? I gave this episode an eight. Uh, I'm trying to be. Um, how can I say this? I'm trying to not get too excited, even though I'm loving, <laughs> loving Andor. So I'm off air. John was like, "This is the best thing that's ever happened to me." <laughs> <laughs> pretty, much, pretty much. And so I'm trying to, you know, kind of rate these right now at a certain level. But once this all comes together, we get to that 12th episode, the end of that 12th episode, uh, I could definitely revisit these ratings and shoot them up even higher. But for right now, 
eight, a good solid episode setting us up for this Aldani uh, mission that is going to happen there. Uh, probably, hopefully next episode. I know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like the it's, dinner party. Uh, we'll get to that too. But I was like, where's the, where's the dinner party? Where's oh, the that's dinner right, parties. Yeah. yeah. Where, where's, where's all that stuff. Um, and there's definitely stuff from the trailers that we haven't seen yet uh, mm-hmm. too. Um, but so I'm right behind you, John. I got, gave it a, a, in between both of you there, 7.5 for me. Um, I like the episode a lot. I'm also like in a, in a vacuum. It wasn't, you know, the greatest piece of star Wars I've ever seen from mm-hmm. what I love, which is, you know, the adventure action fun sort of thing. And, and I understand why this needs to be what it is. And I also understand kind of what you were saying before, John, mm. that we can look back on these episodes and I use this phrase a lot for the show for some reason, but like these early episodes walk so the later episodes can run. And yeah. they're really establishing the characters so that we care about them. Even if we don't like who the character is, they're establishing all of that. So when their arc is complete, there's a payoff. And I think that's smart. And they're, they're using every ounce of these episodes to do that. So I think that's uh, really good. So 7.5 for me. And again, I probably will look on it more favorably once I understand why they did what they did leading up to what's to come. Um, uh, James, round us out here. Uh, Fourth score on the docket is what? I think I I gave it an eight. um, And that is technically down from what I did last week. But I'm I'm sort of with Roka in the sense that like I just... I really think I'm going to look back on the season and be like, I, all these were perfect. And I just don't, I almost <laughs> feel like the reason I gave this one an eight is just simply so that I can gain a little bit of momentum and maybe tomorrow or next week's episode, you know, the, <laughs> the nine or whatever, and, and mm. make it a steep like jump because that's, that's the point of what's going on right now. It's all, not all steady. It's supposed to be hills and valleys to get me to that point where when you're when you're up you really feel up and you feel like everything that just happened was earned because you spent the time uh training and go and quizzing yourself you know going over the processes to get to that point where the payoff is you you pull off the heist or whatever yeah all right right on um so that averages us out the four of us to a 7.6 uh boom there it is there's uh, there's our Diego's honorary member of TRB tonight, John, because you're part of that score. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, he's in our average. Yeah, he bumped us up with that eight. So uh, 7.6 for us. And then we also pulled our patrons, got their average. They were just a little bit below us. They're 7.4 for this episode. And there that is. Yep. So a lot of Diego Luna faces, which is always a good thing uh on this show and anywhere really mm-hmm. um you know what's funny before we get into uh the super chats and a couple of the comments i had always thought he was shorter than he actually is i guess he's like 510 i thought he was like a little guy i don't know why i thought that you general grievous him i guess so yeah <laughs> you're right yeah good 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 callback to <laughs> all right so he's, uh, a couple he's comments a guy so he comes off a little smaller but True. He's, he's a man now. It's not Itumama Tambien. This is a different Diego. <laughs> right, right. Weight right. on him, you know. Wasn't he, he also he, in a Dirty Dancing too? I was yes, going to say Havana Nights. Nights. Yeah, that's right. My yeah. that's, my that's movie my with him is The Terminal. Yes. And oh, people, yeah, over, right. people overlook it. It's Steven Spielberg. But to me, I'm like, I, I don't know, man. That one, that movie hits me. I love all the characters. I yeah. love where it goes. Uh, yeah, he's he's wooing Zoe Zeldana in that in that movie. So yes, people forget that. It. So it's a it's a Gamora there that he's. Wooing. That's the, the yeah, uh, right. That's where Star Trek and Star Wars get married. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> right. yeah. there you go. 
Um, all right, so we have a couple of comments from our patrons. Uh, first, Chris Vandemail, our buddy over in Belgium. Love you, buddy. Uh, he said, 7.5, character and plot building is solid. The suspense, too. Music and sets are excellent. Mm-hmm. Just missing that little Star Wars feel because we don't see a lot of aliens nor droids. But can't complain of all the Star Wars shows. This is right up my alley and miles ahead of the rest. Uh, so there you go from Chris. Thank you, Chris. And then Matt Ham, 7 out of 10 from me. I do love the building of tension but it feels that it's starting to drag a little. This and the last episode could have been packed into a single episode. That's fair. That's a fair argument uh, to keep the pace moving a little more. Hopefully we should see a satisfying release of all this tension in an action-packed episode next week. So thank you, Matt, for that. And then uh, before we get into our discussion of the episode, our main meat and potatoes discussion, which will kick off with each of our favorite moments, uh, Lacey, let's get into some of the Super Chats. Yeah, so first up, we have David Probus. Thank you so much. Who says, the Roka says TRB is live, baby. <laughs> What's up, David? Nice. Thanks, David. buddy. So awesome. And then next was Paul Sullivan with uh, Super Chat. Thank you so much. You didn't say anything, yeah. though, Paul. So if you want to throw something in the chat, I'll Thank put it you, up Paul. on screen. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. But if you just wanted to be nice, then that's cool, too. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that. All right. So let's get into talking about this thing because – um, there's a, a lot of characters, a lot going on, and uh, we must have a favorite moment, though. So, uh, James, I'm going to start with you on this. Did you have a favorite moment or favorite shot in this episode that stood out to you? Um, it, it was tough because uh, we'll get into it later, but the dialogue was really good to this, so mm-hmm. it was hard picking those specific scenes. My favorite, though, is the scene where he gets the kyber taken from him, Um and they have that moment where everybody's reaching for their guns and it's like, every, stop, hold on every, whoa, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I just absolutely love the tension there because I feel like that was the height of this episode considering the, it felt like the story was leading that way between these two characters and it built up to that and it resolved itself even in this episode. So it's it, solid. Yeah. And that, you know, John, I know you're a big Western guy. That mm. that feels like a very Reservoir yeah. Dogs sort of Western <laughs> thing. Like everyone's like, who's going to draw first and cause yep. all the chaos over this item that they don't know? You know, didn't it feel a little Western-y to me? I mean, I'm looking at my notes in Word, and I literally wrote, this was a Reservoir Dogs moment. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Stop pointing that gun in my bell. You know, it would right. want to see something like this. So it was, you saw that coming, but that's... You know, we dived into the intrigue and the backbiting uh, on the Imperial side in the previous episode. So naturally, when the stakes are this high, that whole scene uh, exposes so much between all of them. Um, and even Andor calls them out and says, don't use me as an excuse for your being afraid. And right. I, love, I, I wish I'd heard this line before some of my Schmodown matches. A fear versus losing your nerve are two different yes. things. And that's such yes. a great line yeah. because we all are afraid to lose. But like losing your nerve is the thing you don't want to lose because right. that, that's what keeps you sharp. So I loved that this got much more deeper than people anticipated. And there's so much fleshing out of the um, of the characters within that group that though this scene doesn't work without you having spent time with those characters and understand their places within the group and mm-hmm. grown to like them so that when they're having the back and forth with each other and the almost uh, shooting standoff there, um, there are stakes here that really work. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, now, was that your favorite moment or shot in the episode, or did you have another one that really stood out to you? I mean, there are so many, but yeah, certainly the TIE fighter thing was great. The stuff with the mom and Cyril, which we'll get to a little bit later. But I think my favorite moment is the moment that um, Cassian is having with Nemec, because, you know, from my point of view, as Diego has said, you know, this is a, a migrant story, an immigrant story. I'm the son of immigrants. So for me, this connective tissue of hearing about his story, you know, first with uh, Skeen talking about the tattoos and all of that, where they were in the cages they were in. You pick mm-hmm. your allusion to what that means for sure recently right. at times. But also this moment that he has with Nemec where Nemec is writing the manifesto and he hands him the old tech and says, you know, we've been so caught up in using imperial tech that we're using, losing our connections. And that's speaking overall to this idea of, of when you're a subjugated people, the empire that has subjugated you, whether it be Roman or the imperial empire, their whole point of view is to erase your heritage, your culture, your thing, and replace mm. it with their thing, making it seem, making it feel like it's better. And so you lose your connection. And so many people of color, so many people who are immigrants who go to other countries it's they work so hard to maintain a certain level of their culture while also trying to integrate into the society they've moved into. So I loved this back and forth between those two. And I did not anticipate that at all. And him comparing both things and what they could mean, his manifesto and mm-hmm. the old tech. So that scene for me just resonated so much um, because he says, and that is the real trick of the Imperial Thought Machine. It's easier to hide behind 40 atrocities than a single incident, which also feels very topical uh, as well. So, you know, just great writing here to show well you more than just the Star Wars stuff. Well put. And then just that whole, just from the, the dawn of Star Wars, sort of one of the main ideas Lucas had with the guys at ILM. If I don't know if you watch Light and Magic. Real yeah. Quick, oh, my God. Yeah. So when they were talking about how the Empire stuff was like bought off the factory line, just like, it's it's already fully loaded as is and the, the rebels are just like uh, souping up a hot rod with like a <laughs> coffee can and trying to piece it together and we're faster because we don't have to be street legal right. and I, I like seeing him with that old rickety thing and it's like you know they always find a way they, they mm-hmm. figure it out with however they need to figure it out and I, yeah. I, I like that you brought that up so um, alright Lacey favorite moment or shot from episode 5 uh, first I want to respond to what Roka just said mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with that scene that scene was so I think important given what we're going through right now in the world. It's like you hear characters reflecting points of view that you have and you're like, (laughs) you know, where he's like, Oh yeah, it's just like one thing after the other that get taken away and you don't even realize until you're in this, you know, empire that they wanted. Um, So great scene. You also brought up uh, Cyril Karn, which this is the super chat that Paul wanted to put in. He accidentally mm. didn't hint, enter too quickly. So I'm going to quickly read that. And okay. Paul said, I can't believe this episode had me feeling bad for Cyril Karn while he cried over his blue milk and fruit loops. Anyone else think he'll wind up doing the right thing and somehow help Cassian? That's a good question. We're going to get into that. Uh, my, so I have a favorite shot and a favorite moment. I'm going to, I'm going to take a little moment here though. Um, my favorite scene was the part where cassian starts calling out what hand they use oh yeah because i feel like it's a perfect scene that we see so often in star wars where people underestimate a certain individual in their crew or on the rebellion and they always 
have their moment where they're like, no, I'm smarter than you think I am, or I'm more observant than you think I am. Um, so the part where he was going through everybody's like, oh, left, 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 but likes to shoot right or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, my favorite scene or shot was right at the beginning of Mon Mothma's breakfast scene. She's in the center of the frame, very low on the frame. And her house in Coruscant looks like it's kind of like swallowing her. She is so small in that frame. She's kind of bent over a a data pad. And you can just tell that she's such a small part of what she's a part of. And she feels out of place. And they're just showing you this in like, I don't know, maybe five seconds. But it was this like massive emotional like she is overwhelmed. And, the, and they're displaying this in screen and she's like, just looks so kind of small in this room that isn't that big. But the way that they shot it, it looks like it's just over encompassing her and like she's just all this like grandeur and very harsh shapes and stuff. Um, it was just really well done. That's a great point, because when you think about, you know, we, we look at Star Wars from having absorbed and knowing uh, what the end game is and what the rebellion actually wound up doing. But mm-hmm this is the very beginning where she doesn't know if this is going to work or not. And like right. she, 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 she can get killed as soon as they she finds out. So like, when there they are show so her... many beautiful shots, by the way, this was one of yeah. like a list of like 10 that I had, like the mm-hmm. end scene between Luthen and um, Kylea, I believe her name is yeah. uh, the way they're shot so up close and they're in focus in their background. So like the depth of field is so beautiful. And they have this shot of Luthen where it's like, He's perfectly diagonally with like these bottles in front that are in like out of focus. Then it's him. Then it's background. Oh, they're beautiful, beautiful shots. Yeah, and I believe Susan Campbell is the one who directed the past two or three episodes. Yeah, Susanna White. Yeah, Susanna White. That's it, Campbell. Yeah, Susanna White. My apologies. Um, All right, my my favorite shot was the Tie Fighter, Um, just because you know it's obviously an element of Star Wars, but it and I think how natural and, and earth like that Scotland location felt, and they shot it from a ground level point of view from where your eyeballs would be looking, seeing and hearing that thing felt more real than it ever felt in Star Wars before. And hearing how ferocious it is, how fast it is, and how it went behind the mountain, disappears, but you still hear it faintly, it made me think of Jaws. And how you see the fin come up, go back under the water. You don't know where the shark is, but the the person's in the water. You don't know when it's about to hit. You hear the music a bit, and then you slowly <laughs> start hearing it come back. And that's like when you hear John Williams' music swelling in Jaws. It and then it blows by them all. I it was the first time in all the Star Wars I've ever watched where I felt fear from a Tie Fighter. Hmm. So mm-hmm. congrats to Tony Gilroy and them for for just taking that single, you know lone fighter that looked like a nothingness in, in a new hope when he's like, Oh, it's just a, lo- a short range fighter, whatever. They took that thing and made it menace. And I thought that was, you know, j- just a microcosm of how good they're making the empire and rebellion, like these little minor intimate things just to show how powerful uh, this clash can really be. I, it just blew me away. It's another really crazy example of when they're using ships in atmosphere that didn't yeah. really happen in the original trilogy. And it was almost always like space and just kind of like we just stuck a ship in for space. The, protect they, the blue screen from yeah, black and it's, lines. You know, and, the yeah. stars in the background, you just kind of see the ship moving and stuff. And it's like, that's all fine. But like 
when you're re when you're thinking about what force awakens did with the x-wings on the water and now you're getting tie oh, fighters yeah. flying through the mountains like right next to people and they're like hearing them it, it just it almost makes you wonder just like just a little bit like what if they were able to redo star wars like you see the battle of hoth and like there's tie fighters flying in, <laughs> in and around the mountains and stuff it's like man, that would be so cool if it's like just like a, a, a current day reimagining of it but i mean obviously that'll never happen but uh but I don't know. It's just uh, it's it's really cool to see those ships used in that way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. In in new Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, it's wild, man. Um, all right. So now let's just get into just a discussion about this episode. And uh, before we do, Lacey, I don't know if we have any super chats to to get through. Um, we do, Dave. Dave. Oh, wow, Dave. Thank you for the super chat. He said, this is for last week and missing the donation for the furry friends down in Florida and for a great oh, bunch right. of TRB leaders. Right. Roca, you are the best too. Oh. No problem, Dave. We're going to add it. We'll match yeah. you. So that's yep. 200 bucks going to the furry friends, aka, I believe it's code three. Yep, code three. <laughs> is the, yeah. yeah, is the uh, organization that helps animals in uh times of need like with hurricane ian thank you so much we really appreciate it you're awesome thank you dave that's amazing man um very cool yeah i think you know we were able to in a short period of time uh donate a, a nice so we're up amount to eight hundred dollars yeah that we just sprung up the three minutes before we, we did the show last week and then for you to just come in this week and say i missed it and still donate is incredible dave so thank you and what's cool about that is you know you always see those animals just like floating in the middle of a flooded street and they're just abandoned. And we always think about hurricane relief and stuff, but our, one of our patrons, Andrew Staley brought up this animal uh, fundraiser. That's not only just for, you know, helping animals in need, but also training of how to handle a situation when you have animals to prevent it. So prevention is always a big thing too. So uh, great job to everybody who supported us for that. Um, Roka, do you have pets? Are you a pet guy? Uh, well, no, my girlfriend, we take, we're not, sorry. <clears throat> we're not allowed to have pets at, in the house that we're renting. So, oh, okay. But gotcha. my girlfriend's sister has two dog, two little chihuahuas that we take care mm-hmm. of whenever they go out of town or whenever they're, uh, they need us to take care of them because she's like 20 minutes away here in San Diego. So oh, we'll either go take care of them there or we'll take them for a few days at the house and uh, take care of them here. So yeah. Well, Uncle Outlaw. Them. Yeah, of course. I love those people. If you look at my Instagram, I've got pictures of me hanging out with them. Oh, right. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Cool, man. All right. So um, that was it, right, Lacey, for now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's just talk about it. Let's talk about the episode. Roka, your your main takeaways from this episode, uh, you know, what did it? What did it give you? I'm sure after uh, last week's episode, maybe you thought certain things were going to happen that didn't. Mm. But now mm. that you've watched it and maybe it's settled in, uh, what, what was your biggest uh, takeaway from this episode? I just think the way the chess pieces are moving across the board uh, and lining up. You know, if you've seen House of the Dragon, there's the end of that most recent episode. There's the end yeah. of the uh, scene with the kids and everything. And you see the battle lines have been drawn very clearly for what's to come right oh, and yeah. i think this episode did the same thing with D- we see deidra she'd been told to you know lay off it focus on your sectors nah man she's got 
a thing. It's going to take a rebel to catch a rebel. She's definitely on the right track. That's the weird thing about this whole well, thing. You're like, gosh, she's getting pushed aside, but she's actually right. But we don't want her to be right. We don't, we don't want her <laughs> right. to, to pursue this, but she's actually right. So it's it's a nice thing that they're doing with the fans, like kind of messing with you a little bit. I love that we had so much Diego Luna. This is very much a Diego Luna-centric episode, seeing his reactions to mm-hmm. everybody in the crew. He's and, so good. He's that? so good. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah his reactions and then like that fleshed out the crew even more those characters those mm-hmm. actors all playing off of each other just great actors all around playing off of each other and seeing where they land and where this team is going i got a feeling you know poor mr nimic might be biting the dust no ah. don't say that he's too sweet and he's oh. so sweet and i think the manifesto is what's going to turn and his death is what's going to turn uh, andor into believing in the cause and start the process even more. That's going to be a Spider-Man moment. Yeah. Uncle Ben. (laughs) Uncle Ben. Exactly. Do you think that manifesto gets, we talked with it about Alex, like in a cute way, like as a, Mm. a, in a book or something, and they kind of make it like his diary and they publish the diary. But do you think that the, his thing gets posted in on like the hollow net in this show and causes even more people to be like, that's crazy. You know, 100%. 100%. You don't introduce this if you're not going to follow it. Not a manifesto. You just don't, especially when the show about right. a guy who is essentially standing in for every rebel and how they became part of the alliance to fight the empire. There's no way you introduce something like that and not have it mean and go across the galaxy and and uh, uh, be shared by so many people because that's what manifestos do. They find a way to encapsulate and crystallize why you're rebelling against the people who are trying mm-hmm. to control you and people grab onto those manifestos and use them and reference them all the time. So I think absolutely that thing's going to end up somewhere. You know, you know, what would be cool actually is if, uh, if by may, I don't know if it's like by the end of season two or season mm-hmm. one or whatever, but at some point if Andor becomes Fulcrum and they show that oh. like he takes on that code name, Why that's not? his like message to the people as Fulcrum. He reads that. Absolutely. Oh, he could so be, awesome. He could be like, um, for those of you who've seen Citizen Kane, he finishes the review of his best friend when he's writing the review. Mm-hmm. You, he and or may finish the manifesto. That is very possible that he carries on the legacy of Nemec because he's so moved by Nemec's true belief in <laughs> him. Still alive. He writes the whole thing. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> he's you still know? alive. We're like, yeah, whenever he dies, <laughs> it's going to be mean, great. It, just, it's, it <laughs> seems like that's what's going to happen. Hey, but yeah, I also it would be great. That, yeah, I think the number one takeaway from the show, from this episode, though, is how real they are making this Star Wars world feel. How lived in. I mean, you've got Deidre slamming pain pills or whatever, or or Vibran <laughs> to stay up, whatever she's taking. You've got the conversations with Cyril and his mom. I mean, how many of, of you all watching, or how many of us have had those conversations with your mom or your dad? What are you going to do with your life? Well, you know, yeah. your uncle or your aunt can help you with this or that. There oh, are yeah. certain there have been many families who have those kinds of conversations for sure. Uh, and then seeing everything with the with the rebels and what their reasons were for why they joined the rebellion. I mean, that scene with uh, Skeen and and uh, Andor when he's telling him about his brother, all those things. Oh, are yeah. Such great connective tissues that bring you into the reality. Because, yes, Luke can sit and look at twin sons. Well, the rest of us down here on the ground we got to scratch and claw out a way to fight the rebellion when you're off in the stars. Just like the Martez sisters told Ahsoka, you know, you're out there, up there fighting philosophy. We're down here just trying to survive. 
And that's right. what I like that we're getting. We got in this episode, the realism of what's going on. It's a really good point. And, you know, I was thinking about how Cassian sort of turned a different button switch on when it got to the point where he was fed up trying to cover. And what am I supposed to say? What am I not supposed to say? And he's like, look, I, I'm getting paid for this job. Uh, that's all I can tell you. I'm, I'm being honest. I, I have no reason to lie to you about this, blah, blah, blah. And then from that point, he also gets into the, um, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal how talented I am to these people. And he's like, yeah. you don't, Oh, you don't know how to do this. And they're like, well, no, not really. And then he's pointing out, like Lacey said, you're a righty, you're a lefty, you're a righty. And they're like, Oh, this guy is the real deal. And Mm -hmm. we didn't really know that before. But another thing that I really liked is you could see his, he has a temper. Like Mm -hmm. Cassian has uh, not a dark side to him, but. uh, uh, He flips at Jenner, so. He has a fire. He has a Mm -hmm. fire to him that he tries to keep a lid on. And I, you know, John, you get intense with the schmo down. Yeah, you're exactly like that. Let me tell you something about Latinos. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. And, 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 you know, Irish Italians from from Long Island, too. Yeah. Uh, You know, we get to a point and then you explode sometimes. And like you said, Lacey, he does that in Rogue One. uh, Six years old. He just flips out. And it's like he gets like in her face. So that's that's like the real Cassian in there somewhere and he tries to keep that lid on it and when you see him blow up and knowing he still carries that with him into rogue one there's parts of this guy that aren't always going to evolve the right way there's a natural part of who he is that's always going to be there from when we first meet him to when we see him and Jin on that beach at the end of rogue one spoiler alert uh if you haven't seen rogue one yet um but uh, there's something about the fire that he brought to this episode and really just showing what he's all about is like there's the guy there he is. This he's finally taking over that this is his show because I don't know how you feel about this, John. We've talked about this, mm. me, James, and Lacey, but I think like Stellan, Skarsgard, and Genevieve O'Reilly have been so good so far oh, yeah. that they've almost up to this point, maybe it's on purpose, have overshadowed him. And maybe that's just to get their characters. As they're like familiar. Michael Caine and Muppet Christmas Carol. Like they're over. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. But but I, I'm thinking maybe the only reason is to get them up to how we know Cassian. So it's an even playing field from understanding mm-hmm. the characters. Well, it's Mon Mothma. I mean, when you say Mon Mothma, people have already like crystallized ideas of the character and, and Luthan Rail is different, but Stellan Skarsgård has a history with so many of us that we mm-hmm. already give that to him. Diego is still, although he's been working for a long time, is relatively new to a lot of people. So having him kind of be the, the, the ground uh, approach, the ground and more grounded approach than these two, I think that's why they overshadow. Plus, you know, they're in Coruscant and everybody has their feelings about Coruscant. So it's an uphill battle for, for uh, Diego with the character of Cassian. But I like how they're taking him step by step, yeah. piece by piece through this process. And now, as you said, in this episode, he really comes uh, to the forefront. And I will bring up the um, the back and forth with Cyril and, and his mom, because his mom says this thing that applies to Cassian as well. Real leaders always come through. You always they always shine through. They can't resist being mm-hmm. leaders. And yeah. I think that applies to Cassian as much as it might apply to Cyril down the road so i think that she was speaking about both of them because to me that's the two parallel stories it is cyril and cassian that is the parallel story that i see so far uh in the series that's interesting. do you think and they're almost like reverse see... opposites mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, ahead, yeah. James, like sorry. like a Joker Batman sort of situation. Like they're maybe hunting well, each other. One. So I see it as one is a natural leader who is hesitant to take that jump, which is Cassian. And then you have yeah. Cyril, who's maybe not naturally a good leader, but his mom forced him into this and he's yeah. not good at it. And he doesn't he's know what the hell to do after now. Jump after jump. Yeah. And he's not making right. any, but he got, he got sent right to the front, breath. but he doesn't know how to do it. And right. Cassian had to just try to figure out stuff for himself. And he is a good leader. And they're like two ships passing in the night in terms of like abilities and where they are now. The irony is that Cassian is more prepared than Cyril, but, yeah. is hesitant to be a leader. Cyril right. is less prepared, but is more anxious to be the leader to prove something to himself. And yeah. that's what's going to be the struggle when these two eventually meet up, which I imagine they're leading to. What do you, what do you guys think that is going on with that guy? Because which one? Cyril? Cyril, yeah. I think right now they've done a wonderful job, the writers and the directors, of making you think he could go either way. Like, the, mm-hmm. there's such an incel vibe to him initially. You know, um, he's uh, emotional. He, uh, he's, he bullies people. He jumps in, in over his head and gets involved with Mosk. And Mosk is like, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to, I respect you. And all that. So he's all caught up in the He doesn't shipping. think he's wrong. It's like a kind of arrogance of privilege. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that when he ends up back at his mom's house, which is even more of the... It's, uh, it's a it's, literal it's slap in the face. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes. And then his mom emasculating him, you know, saying like, uh, you know, well, I tried to present your situation in the best way possible to Uncle Harlow. And I've always told you, you know, and I, I see now why maybe you didn't. It's like wearing a sign on your, you know, she's just berating him, yet she wants him to succeed but she is constantly tearing down his self-esteem. So it could go either way. He's either going to go full crazy empire or he is going to side with Cassian as a break from yeah. everything. So I love that you don't know which way he's going to go. John, the craziest thing about that character is it's like he's part of the empire and he wants to be part of the empire, but yeah. he's a, he's in a in a weird way, having a hard time dealing with the corruption of the empire. So Mm -hmm. he's like, this guy's a murderer. He's killing cops. There's obviously issues and I'm trying to solve them. And everybody's telling me to keep my head down and stop and mind my own business. And he is really honestly looking for the justice. Mm -hmm. Now we have a weird perspective on it because we see, what Cassian's doing in the rebellion is a good thing. But I think from his position, he's like, I don't understand why we're not going after this guy. And, yeah. and it's the same with uh, the other Imperial character too. She's, Deidre, she's out yeah. there. Yeah. She's trying to figure out what's going on. She sees it. She mm-hmm. sees that something's happening and everybody's telling her to ignore it. And there's something so interesting about this show in particular, because they're not making the empire bad guys to be bad guys like i'm looking at that and i'm like that's freaking conflicting mm-hmm. like they're trying to do the good thing and but but if they succeed they take down our hero mm-hmm. and 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 it's the villains that are telling them to stop trying to kill her here i don't know it's so weird i just i'm all over the place and i think that's why i'm so intrigued by how they're doing this because this is the first show that feels like it doesn't in a way it doesn't feel fantasy. It feels real life to me. I'm like, those are situations that everyday normal people with their jobs are like, I want to do this 
deal but i know mm-hmm. that if i do the deal with them then they're gonna pull out their sponsorship and you know it's like it's always playing this game and you're like sometimes doing the right thing is difficult i did know? laugh a little bit speaking of Deidre when she was mentioning all the stuff that happened with the empire that she's like there's so many co- you know coincidences <laughs> blah, blah 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 kessel and my mind immediately went to like han solo being like I'm the guy like that. They think that that's like a rebellion. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, it's a big rebellious moment. And it was just Han Solo trying to steal stuff. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, something is going on here. And you're like, well, maybe let that one go. (laughs) It's Roka's Roka's favorite star Wars movie. That's right. Solo. A star (laughs) Wars story. Yes. Um, It's okay. Yes. It's okay. (laughs) But make well, Solo uh, 2 happen. Man. Why not? I'm down with that. Why not? Hey, Why there you not? Go, buddy. Yeah. See that? Kumbaya. Uh, in the, in the, uh, it's like we were holding up high fives and he just kept talking and we were like. <laughs> <laughs> it's live, people. It's yeah, live. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in the Easter egg side of things, like she, her giving off that, li- or it's not her, it's the other guy, gives, giving off the list of places where stuff is happening and obviously like Jakku and everybody like ears perk up like, oh, Jakku. Yeah. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to that. And I'm like, I don't think we know of any of these, like mm. uh, what's happening on Jakku now at this time. I, I like look it up. I'm like, I don't think anything that we know in, in the, in the story so far, the canon so far uh, Fondor. I was like Fondor's biggest mention is in battlefront, but that's after return of the Jedi. So it's mm. like, I, I don't know what's well, happening. That was Jakku Fondor. also battle of Jakku. Same thing. No, yeah, I know, but it's like the wrong time period. This is like no, no, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, way yeah. off. So I'm like, okay, so what's happening in Jakku now? That obviously yeah. they're like noticing, um, and then the the um, uh, Kessel thing that was mentioned too. It's like I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's supposed to be a reference to Solo or or if it like maybe Kessel at this time is. They've also... already brought up Mimbin, so I'm assuming yes. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true too. It probably is supposed to be. Thank you, Tony Gilroy. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> like people breaking just... in and stealing important imperial yeah. assets would be something at, at Kessel. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Proton warheads from, was it base K the steer guard star path. Yeah. So all these things well, are being thrown out that show. Yeah. What was that, that, that is what was stolen at the beginning of Andor. Right. That was the right. little thing at steer guard, but base K I, I don't think that's ever been mentioned in Canon. So it's like, we don't know what these stories are. They're kind of interesting though. I want to know now what's going on in Jakku at around this time. That would be like, you know, warrant uh, a red flag somewhere. Yeah. And now we didn't get a lot of Luthan in this episode. And I, I, I think that's, you know, fine. And we, we did see him at the end there, but we saw, and I definitely want to get into the Mon Mothma stuff and, and her, her husband and all that stuff. But Luthen, <laughs> like, I think we saw, we finally saw a vulnerability to this guy that we really haven't yes. seen yet. And yeah. it, that's like, that, that seems like that's been the theme with him and, and Mon Mothma. Lacey, you brought up how she feels like the world's like crashing on her on top of her. And we see her by herself in the car and she's heavily breathing when she's not, doesn't have witnesses around. Like Tears she, in her ho- eyes, yeah. She, she holds her, uh, she has poise when she has an audience. But when it's time to let that out, she's like, you know. Like Everybody's that sort of felt that before. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. felt and, that. Yeah. And then you have Luthen like, 
it, it's like when you're waiting for the, like the call from your doctor to find out like how everything went and like you could stare at the phone it's just going to take longer and he's trying to get the radio signal and his assistant's like look they either did it or they didn't <laughs> and like t- seeing him who's supposed to be like this father figure wise leader type like frantically trying to get the signal on his transistor Not only that, radio. going through his checklist, he goes, do you have your get out bag here? Did you put this yeah. here? Is ever?" And she's like, yes, we've done all, yes. I, I, I like that we see that because it's showing even the people who are putting everything on the line to start this thing don't know what they're doing and they don't feel confident about it, but they're still mm-hmm. doing it because they know it's the right thing. And I think that's mm-hmm. huge. I think he was I just like, that. yeah, if he was just like, oh, cool, there, he's going to go. And if he doesn't, I'll get someone else. That's not the spirit of the star, the rebellion against the empire. So I, yeah, I loved his vulnerabilities. Yeah, I love that, and I think for the first time I felt like, in a way, like she's almost stronger than he is. Mm-hmm. Like she's sitting there saying, like that you got to stop pacing. True. Like, oh, his assistant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was her like, name is Clea Markey, and she's mm-hmm. the concierge at Luthen Rails Galactic Antiquities and Objects of Interest Gallery. Yeah, on yeah. paper. But I want to know who she is. Well, Lacey's reading her LinkedIn profile. I'm reading her data bank entry, which was put in today. (laughs) Nice. Um, Well, you're right. She's she's so good. You're right. She seems to be the one that is the most level-headed of the two. Because, I mean, Luthen's the one riding around doing all the stuff, and she's the one that has to kind of keep him chill, right? I thought she was sort of protege under him. Like, she's she's learning. She's like his... his, Now I'm like... a Batman analogy, but she's like his Alfred. Like, because oh, Batman yeah. sometimes That's is so absent-minded, and she's like, "Here's your your uniforms over here. Right. This is what's going on over here." You know, mm-hmm. like he he's he's the big time. He's yeah. the hero, but she's the one who's like keep making sure he's getting things together and getting things done. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Um. So Mothma and uh, uh the, I guess what what is gonna event, finally reunite all of Star Wars fandom. Uh, our hatred for her husband. Oh yeah, we're all together again, which is fantastic. Um, so Lacey drew a picture of him, uh, who who you said looks like who actually Lord Farquaad. Lord Farquaad. Shrek. Shrek. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we have um, Mothma's daughter, who who comes yeah. into the scene, and and they're they're a bit uh, not on the same you know, page. Uh, so I find that interesting. So, yeah. So, so Roka, what did you, what did you think about the introduction to the, to her daughter and uh, the further understanding of this arranged marriage that is clearly uh, there's no love there. I think Lacey brought up an excellent point of how we see Mon Mothma framed throughout this whole thing, you know, because when we see her in the last episode, she walks into the room and she's just, you know, antiquity shop and she's very regal and noble. Owning and class. it. Yeah. yeah. She owns it. Right. And when we see her get home and pa- and uh, parent is just like, you know, we talked about this and she was, like, I remember you browbeating me. It was from his angle, right? We saw her far away, a little smaller, everything in the house. She's diminished, even though she's a big deal outside of the house, inside of the house, we see her framed in diminished capacities. Um, and even her daughter, the way her daughter, uh, talks to her and you know a lot of um, politicians a lot of people who are important people most of the time they have terrible relationships with their children because they focus so much on becoming successful ben solo (laughs) fair enough that they weren't there to you know raise their children or have a strong connection with their athletes 
We see it all the time. Yep, absolutely. Anybody. Nicky Mantle was a horrible father, but everyone loved him as a Yankee. But he he, at the sacrifice of his own kids. Yeah, Yeah. and and that's the thing you always have to reconcile with. And so, (laughs) and I don't remember if there was a. I don't know if you guys may know more than I do with the situation. I don't remember Lee. I don't remember there a daughter being introduced from Mom Mothman. I don't know if it's in the books or anything. So I this was a new experience for me. Uh, I've never heard of her honestly. Yeah. So having Perrin, I, tw- yeah. this is another way that the show is real, right? How many people are in relationships with people they married at a younger age? And of course, this is arranged, but sometimes people get married and they the, the, the man feels emasculated by the success of his wife. So he turns their child, uh, daughter or son, against the mother in the weird kind of battlefield way to try to feel some kind of power in the situation because they clearly don't have power out side of the house in comparison to their wife so seeing Perrin do this kind of passive aggressive the um, phrasing was very much from her father you could tell the words yes. she was using yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. so you saw that. And I, I thought that was great and man That's... there better be a twist on Perrin because i he's just so mustache twirly we need to have a little more depth because everyone else is having all depth. he needs so is some train it. tracks silent movie yeah one of the what are those things that they they go down the train track in where they're like oh yeah um i I think it's really quick about his daughter you said i don't think she's ever been mentioned before and i think that's an interesting and telling thing yeah that you know she has we've seen her give her speech denouncing the empire and go into hiding and we've seen her for years like leading rebels like uh like thane from lost stars and stuff Mm. like in in these stories and never once does she mention a husband which now is believable but she also yeah. never mentions her daughter that's which interesting. is terrible as someone who is now a mother yeah. that is a terrible thing so that it has to be such a bad situation that you're like you know what i'm gonna forget that nine months i'm gonna get out of here see you later like that's a big thing to leave your kid behind. I, uh, or they're just my, protecting them. Sort or of like if she's dead. That's the, I'm putting them in the, on the Nemec time clock. Both of them Ooh. are in the possible future. I didn't even consider that. In this mm. series. Because I mean, that's going to make me feel now, bad for hating them. But <laughs> I well, think like. You understand the daughter. I mean, that's just her. She is not aware. She's just I, yeah, out. I think sure. like at this point in time, like we already know that Mon Mothma is pro rebellion and she's like pushing this, but like. At some point, she is going to like give everything up, and I think that's like when you take away even her family, and she still has to put on the smile and all this. And it's mm-hmm. like it's like the empire is just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. They were watching me, but I could deal with that. But now my daughter's dead. You know, yeah. now oh, I yeah. don't have a husband. Are we sure now, the daughter's gonna die? No, I'm just, <laughs> just saying she's never been mentioned from that point on. So you would think yeah. that she's not like you know, fighting unless the they desert her. Maybe they say and, we don't want to be involved with her at all. Maybe I mean, they dishonor. That, that's possible too. That's possible too. Well, yeah. the Empire the original, and it could just be split, you know. The original line in Return of the Jedi was many Bothans died to bring us this information. She's a Bothan. Can you excuse me for a moment? I have to call <laughs> my daughter. She's at college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they cut it. They cut it in yeah, half. Yeah, I don't know what that line. Yeah. Wow. But you have to figure at the end of this, you know, Mon Mothma is, and whoever these leaders of the rebellion are, have to sort of uh, not exile themselves, but go into hiding, so to speak, um, wherever these rebel bases are, because there's going to get to a point where it does come to a head, like you guys said, and it's like it's out that she's part of the rebellion. So 
goodbye all these cars all these houses and stuff and she's going to go to wherever she needs to go and then when we see her in the original trilogy that's where she's coming from and the same goes for obviously saw Guerrera before this uh and everyone all, all the rebels you know they're constantly moving and on the run of the empire so by the end of this season two she's going to be either you know living out of a suitcase or on the run or, or so, get, going to some rebel base of some sort so that the original trilogy stuff makes sense we um, know when that happens though because of last week's episode they hinted to it it was sort of an easter egg it's the episode of rebels called secret cargo and i could probably pull up the exact date but that is like in canon oh it was two bby so she is she's going to be in politics all yeah. the way up until the last three episodes right before the last three episodes no, yeah the last six episodes would be of second right. season yes um yeah. that would be the moment in which she denounces the empire and leaves and then goes and hangs out with ezra side note you know it's kind of <laughs> cool to know she to know what she's going to be doing on that end but i wonder like how involved that's going to be i don't think they're bringing in these people but they will have already cast live action Ezra at that point. Could he play? What a know, connection. Probably yeah, not. Maybe. But anyway. Um, yeah. Mm. So, she, so she's going to be doing this all season at least. Interesting. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. the line. Everybody has their rebellion, right? There's that line in this episode. Mm -hmm. And this could be the one thing that finally pushes, if that happens, right? I'm not saying it will, but this could be the thing that pushes Mon Mothma to be even more adamant about what she's doing. Because right now, what we're seeing is a Mon Mothma who's a little unstable, and, and I don't mean that mentally or anything. Like that. I mean, mm -hmm. just like her position and seeing spies everywhere. Not People even are second-guessing her. her, yeah. Yeah, not even trusting her driver. Her dad's put, or I mean, her husband's putting her on the expressway. What does that all mean? I don't know. But like the, all these things are kind of unstable right now in her yeah. life, in her relationship with her daughter, all of that. So she hasn't come across necessarily as the um, uh, post in the ground that we know her as. So we're seeing how that's going to come about as well. So I think the family is going to be a huge part of that as it plays out, or it wouldn't make any sense to introduce him if they aren't going to be a part of how she becomes even more adamant about fighting the, uh, the empire. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, you know, look how Luke made the leap to get involved. It took his aunt and uncle getting killed. Right. Um, so sometimes someone joins the cause just to join the cause, but sometimes it takes a really heavy thing and a really personal thing for you to go all in. And, you know, at least from what he's telling us, I still don't know if I trust that guy, uh, Skeen, for, mm. from what he's telling us for the story about his brother, that's, you can tell like he's Ooh. at that point because of that. Um, Wait, so I used to, I used to hate the, I don't like, I, you know, he, he reminds me of Roka. So you've seen the matrix. Of he course. Reminds me of, Joe Pantoliano's character, yeah, Joey Pants, yeah, yeah, who's like, you know, I've been eating tree bark for four years because you said we're going to rebel against this empire, and I'm sick and tired of it, and I want to have a steak. Yeah. And I could see that guy being the one who worms them out and gets out, and the rest of them like get killed or whatever. Except Cassian, of course. He I, something yeah, about I, him. I don't think that at all. I, hey, <laughs> I see it, but I see it, but yeah, I just I don't know. I'm having a hard time picturing it, considering how believable I think that guy is. Exactly what Cassian says: like, if it wasn't this, it was another thing. You're afraid 
but like Fair. we're all here to do the right thing and we all know it and he's like you're right and so he kind of forgives him and tells him a little bit more about himself personally i don't think sure. that dude's gonna sell everybody out i think he is just legitimately like scared and has never experienced something like this so he doesn't know how to handle it yeah very and well being could- on the defensive is a very normal way and not trusting anybody is a very normal way to deal yeah. with that very well could be uh, you're probably more so, probably more likely that's the case than that. I think Go that's ahead. where they're leading us. I'd be I I would think it'd be great also if they did that though because I, I would be like twists and turns like did not <laughs> yeah. see it coming. I wouldn't think they ruined the character. I'd be like yeah that's crazy man. He was yeah. totally believable. Yeah. So another uh, super chat we got. Thank you Paul. Thanks uh, Paul. About a different character. He said have a strange feeling Uncle Harlow is gonna turn out to be somebody we already know. What do you guys I, think? I almost brought it up earlier when we were talking about the mother. Like, what do we think about this Uncle Harlow? Because it seemed like they were hinting at his power behind the scenes or who he is. And I'm like, I don't. I, do they? Are they just saying his name to say his name? We're never going to see this guy. I think this guy is something. I hope we see him so 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 it doesn't become a thing. Like, do you think he's Radagas? Do you think he's Radagas? Uh... The guy who was in charge there over at the Imperial Security Bureau. Do you think that's how he ends up there and then hooks up with Deidre Miro and mm. becomes a part of what she's trying to do? Mm. I'm just throwing it out there. He looks like an Uncle Harlow. <laughs> <laughs> he does kind of look like an Uncle the, Harlow. The thing is, is like they're giving his last name. And I feel like if it was somebody we knew, they would just be like, your uncle, your uncle. Wait, you wait, know? how are they they're giving you his last name? Uncle Harlow. Right. Well, Uncle Bob, Uncle John, that's not, I don't really get his last name. Oh, that's, yeah, that, yeah. It'd be his first name, fair. probably. Yeah. Uh, I guess I get that. But my my thought on it is just like name in general. Like mm. they would say, well, I could call your uncle, you know, and they kind of leave it, whatever. But they're giving mm. him his name. So I think it's a character we've not met before. Okay. But the guy working with Deidre does look like the mom. They do look similar. Ooh, shit. I didn't think about that guy. <laughs> yeah. That's that guy looks point. like the mom. Maybe but so, that just might be a coincidence. I know they like to borrow from legends sometimes. I looked up on Wikipedia, which by the way, Wikipedia is great. And also I have to say thanks uh to Alex and Molly for having us on Star Wars explained earlier. Uh such a fun time. So thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Um but uh, there is a character Harlow in Legends. It's you know, not canon, but uh, he was a moth of the Katerio sector in the Outer Rim during Imperial rule. So I know they do sometimes like to pull st- stuff from there. I'm not saying that's what this is, but maybe he's just some Imperial guy who has connections who can, you know, help his career out or something. But I mean, who knows? I just want to see the scene where Radagast gets the call from the mom. Who is it? Oh. <laughs> Fine, put her through, but only for five minutes. <laughs> it's um, um, it's uh, the guy from Mandalorian, the buyer. <laughs> yeah. What's his name? I can't think of it. <clears throat> That'd be good. Um, so let's, let's uh, do a brief, before we get out of here, um, let's speculate on what we think we're going to get in the next episode. So, John, do you think we're they're going to go just full foot on the gas and go for that heist right away? I hope so. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like we've led up to it. And each one of these, uh, from what I understand, uh, e- every three episodes is an arc. So, And it is called Andor, so this is Andor's story. And we got yeah. the first three episodes. We haven't seen anybody from the first three episodes show up in these two 
episode so far, and I can't imagine they'll show up in the next episode either. So I think they'll wrap up the heist, do the whole heist, wrap everything up, the ra- the ramifications and consequences, who turns, who doesn't, and then boom, by the end, uh, Luthen picks him up, and we're on to the next thing that Andor is doing with a whole new set of characters, possibly, or he's back on Ferrix because we had uh, a Ferrix scene with Blevin there and some new guy, Captain Tigo or whatever his name is, and so certainly he's setting up shop there, so the Imperial is in the Empire rather is in control. So I imagine we'll maybe we'll find our way back to Ferrix for the next three episodes after the next one. But yeah, I fully believe the. Heist is all going down the next episode. Do you think there's any any chance, which we saw in the first trailer in Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. August, but do you think there's any chance Cassian gets captured? Oh, good question. No. No, I I, I don't know why I don't feel that way, but no, it doesn't feel like that. Do you guys think he's going to get captured? I just feel like Star Wars likes a good break out of jail scene. Mm. Um, we see that all the time. Uh, usually Leia's involved for some reason. <laughs> she's always either helping people get out of jail or getting in jail. And, but, uh, well, she's yeah, around. She's, she's, she's around. In the, always in the mix. Yeah. I, um, I, I do think getting caught, getting out of jail could be part of the further story, mm. um, in the next few episodes. Cause we, I mean, we do see him also in that like white room outfit. and all those people, those outfits mm-hmm. that feels kind of, um, institution sort of thing, mm, you know, THX like they're keeping the, yeah. yeah. By the way, I, I I said the buyer, and I couldn't think of the guy's name. It was the client, not the buyer. Mm. And I was oh, thinking of Vernon. I was Herzog. trying to be nice because I was like, I have no idea what the hell he's. Yeah, saying. I didn't I knew, know what you were doing. I knew, I knew everybody. Everybody was like, yeah. And I'm talking like, about Vernon. I was, but I couldn't think of his name, and I was like, "It's the the buyer," but that's obviously the rail. <laughs> but I was trying to I was trying to pull the client, and well, yeah. I don't think we have a name for the client other than the client, so that could be. What do you think? I don't know. I guess I could see the capture thing because he'd be <laughs> in a room full of other rebels and hear their stories and their experiences, and that could yeah. influence his further turn towards being a part of the alliance, so or the rebels. So, yeah, that's possible. I guess I hadn't considered it. So yeah. And Lacey, what, what do you think? What do you think is going down in this episode next week? I really hope we get to the dinner party. <laughs> I've been <laughs> waiting for it. I want or it. Or some party. I I feel like it was built up for, you know, this big, dramatic, tense moment. <laughs> and I want to, I think it's going to be really ripe for like, who is that? Who is that? Oh yeah. my God, who's there? Mm-hmm. I'm excited oh, it, for it. It would be their like cantina, mm-hmm. uh, canto bite type scene. Right, or like they yeah. can invite in like a bunch of people, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, look at that! Look at that!" Lacey, yeah. do you think we see the person she was referring to in the last episode, the person she was trying to convince Luthen to bring into the circle? Do you think we meet him? Yes, I think we do. Yeah. That would be. I think that's, that's a, the that's guy. A good point. The one that she's like, "What I'm really doing," and all that. The mm. guy from Coupling, I forget his name. Yeah, that guy, Ben Davies. He's Patrick. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's so good in that show. Um, this is way more serious <laughs> the show than that, but yeah, no, he's great. I can't wait to see his role. And I feel like this is James brought it up earlier. This definitely is a show that you could go back and rewatch and notice things that you didn't see the first time. And I think that that dinner party is definitely gonna be one of those scenes that you could watch a couple times and just mm. be like, oh my gosh, there's so much here to take in. Yeah, I and I know it's twelve episodes. So when I was first thinking about it. I was like, they have so much time to use, like 
they can get these characters involved who we've seen before, you know, Enfys Nest, Saw Gerrera, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We know Saw's in it, but I'm beginning to think we're not going to see those familiar faces until the end of this season. And, like, that's why... Like, it's funny, Tony Gilroy said they originally wanted me to do five seasons, and I said, absolutely not. Uh, so, instead, he did one season's going to be one year, and the second season's going to be four years. So, I think that's that strong focus of stretching out this one year is to really establish these other people and mm-hmm. the, the Imperial side and the Rebellion side so that they can then weave in the other familiar people we know from other stuff, other mm-hmm. shows, mm-hmm. at the end of this and and pepper them in in the second season. So I'm beginning to think, I, and let me know what you guys think about that. I'm beginning to think the, those familiar cameos and stuff, we're not going to see till maybe the end of this season, yeah. uh, like the very end of this season. Uh, now watch next week, they all show up, of course. But um, <laughs> the, what, you, what do you guys think about that? Are you on Aldani? Um, <laughs> my question is when does oh, Daredevil show up? Does Daredevil show up in the last episode? Yes. Daredevil oh, Daredevil. <laughs> I love that they're yeah. finally like, it's this one. He's here. Yeah, he's here. Shut up. Enjoy. <laughs> no, you, yeah, I think you make an excellent point. That's that maybe that's, I know there's been a lot of reviews that are frustrated with the pace of the show, but this may be mm-hmm. because, as you said, Gilroy was handed this task and he's like, I'm going to, we're going to take a little bit of time to meet everybody, yeah. lay the groundwork, give you the levels of these characters. Because these are the characters you're going to know for the most part throughout both of these seasons of the show. So I got to, you know, have the time to flesh them out so that I can play with them within the season. So I also think we've been spoiled in a sense, and I fall into this with um, previous Star Wars shows, whether it be Mm -hmm. Kenobi or Mando or Book of Boba Fett where it feels like every episode has to have that moment that everybody's talking about online and everybody's posting gifts of and everybody's uh-huh. being like, oh my God, that moment. And this is the first show that like, there's no big pops like that, but there's all these other kind of tense moments that are building and like all these detailed things that are like building to something greater. And people don't like that they can't immediately go online and be like, oh my God, that thing, am I right? And there's like nothing to do there. So then you have all these people like, well, I'll, I guess I'll go to She-Hulk and talk about Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because they don't have that quick kind of gratification of yeah. what is that thing that everybody's talking about? Like, because there's so many things to talk about in this show. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I, when I was, when Lacey mentioned earlier, I said, you can go back and rewatch these. I, I even mean like this show is something that I really have to focus. Not like I really have to focus on when I'm focusing, if if you don't, you're going to miss something really mm. cool and important. Like every line uh, has weight to it, uh, mm-hmm. as you like to say, gravitas, right? <laughs> gravitas. <laughs> um, it, it's it's something like if you if you were to kind of doze off for a second and like you get distracted by your phone or something like that and you come back you're like oh they're still talking like nothing happened i didn't miss like a big fight Uh, scene or mm. something it's like this show doesn't work for that like if you go back you'll be like i almost missed that wow what a moment for that character um because because every every scene is just talking but like in a good way it's like like what people say they don't like about star wars because it was the politics and i'm like yeah but then go back and rewatch some of the stuff with the politics it's really good when you like understand what they're really discussing you know and Mm -hmm. and the weight of what they're really discussing and that's i think the other side of star wars that we don't normally think about because we're like 
uh, so caught up in force and Jedi's and stuff like that, that Mm -hmm. it's like, there is this war happening and there are a lot more normal people than there are Jedi and Sith going back and forth. Um, and what does that look like for the people at the bottom who are just trying to live their life, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And star Wars is not used to, this type of sophisticated dialogue, you know, say what you want about how great the story is, which it is, but you know, you buy Harrison Ford said, you, you can write this <laughs> stuff, but you can't say it. Yeah. So it's a different, it's de- this is de- definitely a different animal. And, but, and for people who critique it, they have every right to like, if you have an opinion about something, it's right because it's your opinion. Like, I, I don't like people saying like, Oh, your opinion on this or your, your taste on this is not good, but um, I, because of what rogue one is. And um, I think this needs to be what it is. Like if they tried to a new hope, this series and then go to the dark rogue one and then back to the, the vibe and feeling of a new hope, that'd be weird. So yeah. I think they need to sort of do this sort of blend into rogue one. And then that blend into a new hope to try to make it feel more seamless. Um, and we need to see the desperation and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm very excited to see. I, and I like the fact that, you know, there haven't been a ton of, uh, you know, leaks out of this show in terms of heavy plot stuff. And um, the look of it, though, John, the last thing before we get out of here, I oh. guess, you know, your take on, you know, the the cr- criticisms of Obi-Wan and, and some of the stuff looked maybe a little, I don't want to say cheap, but less expensive, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this show, which looks... Uh, grand and obviously the main difference being stage uh, craft uh, volume southern california 30 mile zone versus we're going to scotland we're going to here we're going to here real locations and that sort of thing so where do you stand with that has this raised the bar and now kathleen kennedy says we got to do more of this or do you think it's just because tony gilroy's uh, power and influence over the show it's very interesting because, like, you know, J.J. said, we're not going to do special. We're going to do more of the real special effects, right? More of uh, the practical effects. That's going to be because people kind of didn't like that in the uh, in the original in the I'm sorry, in the prequel trilogy. People yeah. had issues with that. So they were like, OK, we're going to come back and we're going to address those concerns and criticisms and make a practical effects. Great. Do the overall story work? That's up to you to decide. But that's what their approach was. And I think a lot of people appreciated that. So here we go with the volume, and people love the volume of Mandalorian. People are like, oh, yeah, this is so cool, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then when it was used with Kenobi, we were like, oh, it's, uh, these are the limits of something like this. So, <laughs> Even Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. I'm fair, like, I can Bo- tell he's walking up a hill of sand, <laughs> like yeah. in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, book. That's such a hard way. But anyway, uh, the uh, – the, but when we get to this, this is a nice change of pace. You know, when I, when I when I first got into this business hosting a Star Wars show with Tiffany Smith and Christian, I said, I want to see multiple types of Star Wars so that we can all be satisfied and and enjoy the many directions that Star Wars can go in. And so seeing something like this, because it appeals to what I like to see, which is more character-driven, ground-based type stories, I love this. And so... I love that it's working for this. I don't think this is now going to be the standard going forward. I think this style of filmmaking worked for this style of show. Uh, If you're going to do the Luke Skywalker story, I don't think this kind of filmmaking would necessarily work. There's a reason Tony doesn't throw in Jedis or uh, Sith Lords. These are very practical, ground-based characters. Even though we see the Death Star in Rogue One, we don't really see the Jedi battles and all of that stuff. It's much mm-hmm. more ground-based, gorilla-type approach yeah. uh, 
to his sub. So this is what Tony does really well. And so I can't imagine Tony trying to tell a story that involves a lot of Jedi or dark or, or Sith Lords or any of that stuff. It's not, I don't think it's really his, and, his bag. So and that's this, why I think this will stay for something like this, but not be what totally. They go, and go them forward. taking this, I, I don't want to say it's a risk because rogue one was a billion dollar movie, you know, mm-hmm. but like, but them doing this on the side when Mandalorian and, and book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan are successful, you know, they're, they're doing this other thing. Now yeah. it really does give me hope for shows like skeleton crew and the acolyte, mm. which are going to be also departures from what we know, like, because none of those characters are characters we're familiar with. They're not legacy characters. So right. we're going to get an all new show, probably with all new tone. Um, I, people are saying the skeleton crew, like stranger things thing. It's like, okay, maybe, you know, I, I think yeah. it has kids in it and that's probably the only connection we're making. But that being said, I'm not opposed to that. That doesn't necessarily feel star Wars, but yeah. it will probably feel star Wars when you make it star Wars. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. it, just give, give these shows different tones, put them in different settings and make a variety out of uh out of what types of stories you can tell in this universe galaxy i should say yes indeed um anything else before we hop out of here Lacey? anything not really i'm just excited to see the dinner party <laughs> you we better get that dinner party <laughs> yeah problem. Next or week at least be like so i can't wait to see dinner party yeah <laughs> we'll have a dinner party on our show if they don't have a dinner party mm. um I'll, I'll, I'll get DoorDash. Um, no tacos this time, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we want to thank everybody who joined us live, uh, watched with us here. Uh, that is awesome. It always makes it a fun time seeing your comments pop up and and interacting with some of them. And uh, love the uh, the shout outs to us and of course John. Uh, so make sure you do subscribe to the show, whether it's on YouTube here or your preferred audio platform, because we will be posting this if you showed up late on the audio podcast apps tomorrow morning. Uh, um, and uh, that will live there as well. And of course, here on the channel, if you want to watch the video version, it's going to be here for you as well. And we'll be back next week to talk about uh, episode seven. Um, and uh, make sure you go to Star Wars Newsnet for all of your Star Wars news every morning. And uh, patreon.com slash resistance broadcast. These types of shows and streams and stuff that we do will not exist uh, without your support. Uh, we just uh, sort of updated to our next phase of Patreon, which I call phase four. And so make sure you head over, check out the tiers, patreon.com slash resistance broadcast. Any way you could help us out, we appreciate. If not, totally okay. But I do want to give a special shout out to our two top tiers, our generals, Carmelo, John Reese, Jetta Rosewater, Frank Grande, Darth Hurricane, Nick Kratz, Christian Morales, Brian Smith, Matt Chitty, Danny, Mike Ramori, Matt Heath, Chris White, Brendan McLaughlin, Count Pepto, Samuel Zilke, Sneaky Zebra, and Val Trichkoff. And our Spice Runners, David Probus, Neil Shaw, Kendall Gellner, Ryan Wara, Dave Hornack. Saw you, Dave. Thanks, buddy. Thomas Hennessy, Andrew Staley, Jeremy Myers, and Michael Fry, who's going to be coming up on our pod race on Monday. So thank you all and all of our patrons for all your support. Um, again, next Wednesday, October 12th, we'll be here again, 9 p.m. for episode six. Mr. John Roca, first of all, thanks again for hanging out, man. It's Thank been you. a lot of fun. Every time we talk, it's always a good time. Even when we disagree, you <laughs> you do it with respect. Even when yeah. you have a very uh, outspoken opinion on things, you always <laughs> handle yourself so well. And I always appreciated that about you and respect that. Respect you. you a great deal. So um, thanks for coming by. Plug plug away. What's going on? You have so many shows 
I do. What, um, what are you doing, man? It's but I feel, the, I feel the same. I respect the three of you guys so much. I always enjoy you. running into you all in person or online here. It's always yeah. Um, and certainly you guys are so knowledgeable and it's a fun show to listen to the three different approaches you guys have to Star Wars. So thank you for having me on. It's my honor. As for me, you can follow me at the Roca says on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Yeah, the old man's trying TikTok. You can uh, also head on over and find me on Twitch there as well. The Outlaw Nation on Twitch. Um, and uh, as far as my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says where I have the Jedi way that I, uh, the star Wars show that we, that I co-host with Laura Kelly. Every couple of weeks we do an episode about some philosophical a- aspect or some current news item in star Wars. It's much more of a relaxed approach to things. And uh, it's always great to do that with Laura. I also have the geek buddies. We're reviewing and or ourselves every week with Laura on the geek buddies. So come and uh, watch those on uh, the uh, uh, outlaw nation YouTube channel as well. And from a podcast, the top 10, the cinephiles, um, they're all out there. And the hot mic with Snyder, which is always a, a yes. hell of an experience <laughs> for sure. So uh, it's always a blast. So there you go. Thank Excellent. you. And thanks again for having me on. It was a blast. Oh, absolutely, man. We want to have you back again as always. So you have a key to the resistance base always, buddy. Hit me up anytime. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at Johnny Oe, writing and editing at starwarsnewsnet.com and my movie podcast, Just Like the Movies. We just did uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So mm. check us out there. Uh, Lacey, how about you? People can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lacey Gillerin. James Bainey. Same place as always, Twitter and Instagram at Meyer Trunks. All right. And we will be back on Monday with a new episode. We're going to be doing the State of Star Wars Fall Edition. So we're going to see how we feel about the state of the franchise uh, today. And then, of course, next week again, like I said, live 9 p.m. Uh, talking about hopefully that heist on episode (laughs) six of Andor. But uh, thank you again all for listening, watching, being a part of TRB. And until next time, we'll see you around kids.